Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So in the beginning of the retreat, we took some trainings together, the precepts. And we haven't explicitly talked about them too much over the next days, although in some ways we have been completely talking about them. We've been talking about the attention to the body, the attention to the heart and to emotions, moods, mind states, and the attention to thoughts. And even this attention to the reactivity that we might have towards a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral experience. I think many people recognize that being here on retreat is unusual conditions of sharing space with other human beings. So both because of the silence and the meditation practice, but also this foundation of trying to live together peacefully has an impact on all of us and our ability to relax and be open to learn to be vulnerable. It has an impact not only on the humans here, but even also on the animals. So most places, the wild animals aren't as relaxed as they are here. And they're relaxed here, I would say, partly because for at least 20, 25 years, this has been a Buddhist retreat center and uh, none of the humans that they have seen have been trying to kill them. And of course, that is a condition that helps put you at ease much more. So when you look at what are the roots of that action, And it's something that in the city is not uh, same conditions. For example, it's a a rising mind state of aggression or violence or hatred. If we look at the roots of what's behind the action to take things that's not ours or even take more than our share, is some energy of craving, of greed, of acquisitiveness that arises in our mind. And we can see also when arises in our hearts and minds uh, the other side of things. So for the trading around non-harming, sometimes there arises the urge for protecting others, a sense of gentleness in our relating to others, a sense of love and care for ourself and other living beings. (coughs) And then in relationship to the second training, sometimes arises in our hearts a feeling of generosity, uh, like wanting to give someone something. It could be as simple as wanting to hold the door for someone, or sometimes even further, an act of generosity. Leaving the last banana for someone in the bowl. So you may or may not know that even the very structure of this uh, retreat is founded on these principles of trying to cultivate the wholesome qualities within us. So in the Buddhist term is uh, dana, generosity. 
And uh, it might surprise some of you to know that all of the uh, teachers here, Sami and Pascal, um, all of the cooks who have been making the food, and both the managers, uh, all come here and serve without being paid. So the relationship to the uh, construction of the retreat and carrying out of the retreat is considered an act of generosity. And this is both cultivating our own wholesome qualities in this way. But also later we'll give the opportunity for people to support us. And there's a very different feeling when the opportunity is given to support out of generosity than to say, like, oh, give us this much, something like that. So similarly, we try to cultivate the sense of love in our hearts of well-wishing, of kindness for uh, each other. And this too is considered an important and critical part of our spiritual path. So cultivating kindness, cultivating generosity. The distinction in these different states of heart and mind are ones that uh, in the teachings of Buddha are are oriented around what is skillful or what is wholesome. In some ways, like, what is helpful for our goal of seeing clearly, of developing wisdom, of living a life in alignment with the truth. So this distinction is different than uh, bad or good or uh, evil or good. It's in some ways more uh, pragmatic about what are the states of heart that arise that are both grounded in an understanding of our connection to each other and the impact we have on each other that lead towards happiness for ourselves and others. And what are the states of heart and mind that arise that come out of a sense of brokenness, a false sense of separation, and that then plays out further separation and harm. So the first level of our practice is certainly just trying to be present with whatever is here and recognizing what that is. As we start to investigate, particularly the states of mind and heart that arise, it is helpful to investigate them with an eye towards some distinction like this. Like, which are the ones that are wholesome, skillful, helpful? And which are the ones that are unhelpful, unskillful, lead to doing things that we regret? And as part of this path of practice, the investigation is one using awareness, using this different way of knowing that we're cultivating. So it's not because we have to memorize a list of rules about what to do and not do, but we're trying to train our system to know know, on a very uh, deep level when something arises, whether this is something that it's helpful to follow or not follow, to let go of or cultivate. So the path to this involves both becoming uh, much more intimate with the states that are unwholesome and basically becoming much more intimate with the suffering of states. And also allowing yourself to fully embody and know when the states that are wholesome, helpful, arise. Uh, Joy, compassion, love, generosity. And allow your system to fully know those to true up to those, if you will, so that you can remember that as a way of being that's possible. Now, the first part can be uh, painful. So becoming intimate with these states that are actually states of suffering, whether or not we initially identify them as such. 
And it definitely takes a lot of courage uh, for us to do that. So becoming more uh, intimately familiar with the direct experience of suffering on a more and more subtle level is a really important part of this path of becoming fully human, of learning to live with integrity. It doesn't sound that appealing, this becoming intimate with suffering. It's not what we put on the listing of the retreat, that you'll come here and spend your time becoming deeply intimate with suffering. (laughs) Although probably most of you can attest that that is actually what you have been doing, uh, minus the usual distractions that you have to change the conditions of the body and watch TV and play with your smartphone and all of that. But I can tell you, friends, this is a very profound undertaking for your own well-being and really for the well-being of our society. So training ourselves to know this, to become comfortable with and not have to be driven by these states that are rooted in pain and suffering. To be able to tolerate them, be steady with them, and let them go in their time. Likewise, for some of us, it's difficult to embody the wholesome ones, the skillful ones. For some of us, we're not used to allowing ourselves to be completely filled with joy. We're not used to recognizing generosity as something that we want to support and grow. We could, because of our conditioning or uh, some messages we've received, be suspicious of these states of well-being too. So it's equally important for us to allow ourselves to fully know what it feels like to experience contentment, joy, love, compassion. And especially when it seems to come for no good reason too. So sometimes you might find yourself walking here, yes, doing this walking practice back and forth and feeling actually very content and happy. Uh, Feeling a sense of love for others around you as you're walking down the hill. And it's really helpful to recognize those moments uh, because in that time you have a great deal of freedom. Our usual recipe for happiness and well-being is I need to get a bunch of stuff, or I need to have people following my scripts, or I need to have this much money, status, something like that. So notice when you are quietly walking back and forth, or looking at a flower, or just standing there in the sun, and you feel some wholesome mind state move through, that it actually is not that expensive to be free. So you're freed from the conditions that are usually what we're told we need and also what we think we need. So there can be sometimes resistance to allowing yourself to be completely filled with joy, even if the joy is just from sitting here and breathing with a collected heart and mind. But I encourage you also to allow that to suffuse your heart, suffuse your mind. Allow that to grow. Joy, love, compassion, generosity, all these states. 
Notice if it tips into craving for not wanting it to go away or trying to grab it and hold it. But as much as we want to really feel the pain and the leaning forward, the contraction of the states of suffering, we really want ourselves to become familiar with, uh, acclimatized to these states that are the wholesome, skillful ones. So and as we practice, we can notice these sooner and sooner with greater and greater detail and basically learn to read them uh, with better facility. Our system starts to recognize more and more what is suffering and what leads towards suffering for ourselves and others and what is actually helpful for ourselves and leads towards well-being. So we can experiment with this a little this afternoon. So you don't need to go looking for these states because they will show up in one way or the other. And when they do, you can allow yourself to investigate and to know as best you can what's here, what's this like, what's the impact. So this will serve you both here in the moment, but also in preparation for continuing our practice in the non-retreat center uh, facility, where we'll have many opportunities to speak and act and engage with the world. And whatever you learn about this here will be a gift to everyone that you encounter uh, from this day forward for the rest of your life. So we can sit together, check it out. We can allow ourselves to sense the body in whatever way it is appearing, however we're perceiving it. feel a sense of solidity in the body or a sense of expansion or motion. You can feel the temperature of the body in different areas. Notice sounds. These sounds are part of nature, it's coming and going on their own.
can notice that the body is breathing. I can feel our aliveness in this breath. Notice if there are different thoughts that are floating through, different clouds passing through the sky. Some of these might have a noticeable energy underneath of them. If so, you can investigate, what is this? What is the state of heart and mind? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Generosity, compassion, joy? Which of these states might be skillful and helpful in harmony with the path of awakening, a connection? Which of these states come from a place of scarceness? separation, delusion, leading towards harm for ourself and others.
So in this life, in each moment, we're planting seeds, uh, cultivating different states of heart and mind. Everyone is doing this, no matter where they are. While they are driving and shopping and eating. It's a flow of different states of heart and mind, different intentions. And each moment we're planting seeds for what will arise in the future. We're training ourselves. It's good to pay attention to what are the seeds that I'm planting? What are the seeds that I'm watering and fertilizing and grooming? The seeds of jealousy or compassion. Seeds of generosity, self-righteousness. We're all a mixed bag. Just tuning in to what's here in this moment, which has arrived uninvited. And how do we want to deal with this? What is the impact of this state, my heart and mind? This can give you a clue about what it would be like to act from this state, to speak from this state. What it's like to continue to think from this state. All of them are just passing through. None are inherently you or yours. May we all be peaceful and happy. May we all be strong and healthy. May we all be safe from inner and outer harm. May we all grow in wisdom and in love. So meditation, particularly uh, mindfulness meditation, has become much more popular and well-known in recent years. And it's partly because uh, there have been scientific studies that have actually proven that there's different uh, aspects of the mind that can be changed. This idea of this neuroplasticity of the brain. 
So it used to be that uh, people thought, well, your brain grows and changes when you're a little kid, and by the time you're like 18 or 20, you're kind of stuck with that model for the rest of your life. (laughs) So you have to eat well and learn languages and all kinds of stuff when you're little, because then you're going to live with that for however long. But the new version of this is that actually the brain is this very dynamic organ that constantly is changing and many different connections are made uh, all the time. And that the states of heart and mind, the things that we experience, the things that we uh, live through actually impact our brain and the way it functions. So there's various sayings like, you know, the uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, and things like that. Basically, they're just proving things that the Buddha already knew 2,600 years ago, and that it's possible to actually uh, change the heart and mind and train ourselves in some way. So we're doing this more uh, intensively here on our retreat, and it's one of the reasons why we encourage this um, continuity of practice, is to just use all of the time here uh, as best you can to be present and to learn. We're developing many, many different qualities of collectedness, of uh, presence, and so on. Because you don't have as much that you have to do here, intellectually or you know, job-wise or responsibility-wise. So one of the things that we're cultivating here in an ongoing way is this sense of um, mindfulness or presence, and um, particularly helpful to do this in the walking practice, I'll say. Um, Both because when you go home, there'll be many places that you walk, and if you develop the ability to be present when you're walking, uh, you will be able to bring your practice with you. It will be a portable thing. So you won't require a meditation hall for this special exercise. But also to say, I think there's something particularly profound and radical for us as queer people to be able to walk with presence in the world, to be as embodied as possible, to take our place among living creatures in a full and open-hearted way. So when I first moved to San Francisco, it was about... um, 2000 or so, and I had a job that was on Market Street. So I'd take the Muni uh, to work and come out of the subway and then walk to my office. And uh, yeah, I did this every year for every day uh, for many years. And then one time I uh, was going to go in the Pride Parade in June. And the group that I was um, walking with, which I was on the board of, is a South Asian queer group uh, called Tricorn. And they had a float this year. So they were like, all right, we need people to be on the float. And um, I didn't really want to be on it, but they were like, oh, we need, you know, all the board people have to be on the float. So they're like, get on the float. So So at first I was kind of like, you know, oh, I don't know about this. And then as we're going down Market Street, I was like, hey, this is great. Like, everyone's cheering for us. (laughs) And I had just such a different experience than I usually did walking on Market Street, where people did not cheer for me. (laughs) coming out of the subway and walking to work, you know. <laughs> and uh, that experience of feeling like love and, you know, positive affirmation from people um, facilitated having this sense of being really completely present and embodied uh, in a way that I only then recognized I was not in a daily way. You know, this like completely uh, claiming this, uh, this body in a really different way. So uh, after that, I decided to practice that, you know, practice this kind of uh, embodiment when I walked to work. And I didn't wave at people like that anymore. Um, but it's this, you know, this quality of presence, this quality of like being fully present, not shrinking away, you know, not disappearing. And I think we've gotten so many messages um, in so many different ways, many of us, uh, that we don't belong or... Uh, being afraid to be present or to disappear in some way. So I just want to encourage you to uh, do the walking practice with the sense of, uh, it's like your pride march, you know, like you're 
can you walk back and forth uh, and be as fully embodied and present as possible? And consider this your practice also for uh, when you go out into the world and then uh, everywhere that you walk, you can be as fully present as possible. And I'll say having been in the the parade a bunch of times, um, also, uh, I didn't even realize this, but I was impacting other people. So uh, at different times in the years after that, um, various, uh, particularly South Asian queer people would come to me and say, uh, you know, it, it was really impactful for me to see you on that float, right? To see you being like very out and proud and uh, that you seemed happy and that you seemed to have this different kind of life that I didn't think was possible. So it's not to underestimate the power, I think, for all of us who are grown-ups now of learning to be more fully embodied, you know, of being able to be fully and joyfully here and present and recognize the ways in which we have learned not to be. We have habitually learned to hide and to disappear. So it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's in some ways like a meditation practice. In other ways it could be considered a kind of active resistance to all of the forces that tell you that you shouldn't be here or you shouldn't be here in this form or you should be different uh, or that you have no right to exist. Uh, so that's the pep talk for walking meditation today. It's like, make it your uh, own uh, pride march there, <laughs> back and forth. Then you get many times to practice uh, that. Each time you hit the end, you can turn around and come back again. Right? So you don't need to wave, you can keep it simple. <laughs> um, but practice, and as, as we even move around, uh, you know, and doing other things too, we can just notice, like, what percentage am I present you know, what percentage am I here? Because sometimes when we're walking somewhere, we're kind of halfway there, but halfway, yeah, lost in thought, or, yeah, just not here, just checked out. So you can just see, like, oh, is there a way I can bring, like, a little bit more presence? And you do this not by straining or, like, crunching down or um, tightening, uh, but in some ways by like collecting and brightening uh, your attention. And all of this is uh, practice, so even if you wonder, like, what does that mean, collect and brighten the attention? Like, I know how to do that on a TV screen or my, you know, but how do I do that in in this being with the body and mind? Uh, So play with it, you can play with it and Uh, Notice all the times in which we have been taught uh, not to be fully and brightly present. And each time that we take one step with a different attitude, we're training ourselves in the other direction. So this is uh, very important for us all, I think, uh, to become more fully, fully and lovingly embodied for ourselves, for our community, for the world. So please enjoy the walking uh, practice. Please enjoy your pride parade uh, as you do. And we'll come back again uh, to have a sitting at uh, 4 o'clock again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.